Psalm 128 is our text this morning for a Father's Day type message. Seems like every time um, I stand up here for the last six weeks, I promise you there'll be better air conditioning. I learned my lesson, and I will promise you better air conditioning. But I will say we're working on it. Mercy. Psalm 128. I hope that you found that psalm. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. In one of those delightful stories of Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, there is this statement, Oh, daddy is a daddy, is a daddy sort of man. And to read that statement is to have an explosion of thoughts go off in your mind as to what kind of man is a daddy sort of man. Well, the text, the psalm gives us some idea of a daddy sort of man because this psalm was, is a family song. It was written to be read or to be played or to be sung in the, in the home on happy occasions. Now it's not surprising that the Bible has a family song. As a matter of fact, the Bible has a lot to say about the home. Both the Old and New Testaments give us some clear guidance as to how to have a successful home. And this psalm in particular talks about happiness in the home. The Hebrew word translated blessed can be translated literally, how very happy, how very happy is this kind of home. And it was addressed to the father, to the man in the house. And it describes the kind of man that God wants. It describes what God wants a daddy sort of man to be. Now it says very quickly in the text, it indicates that happiness in the home is not just what happens inside the house. For it says right up front, it talks about happiness in worship and happiness at work and happiness in the love of one's family. It talks about first happiness in worship. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, that is, who reveres Him and who respects Him. A worshiping family is a happy family. In a a marriage ceremony, at one point in, in it, designed perhaps to to tie hard knots is this statement. Since the home is ordained of God and is based upon the love of God, 
The home can, above all other institutions, bless humanity and honor the Lord. You, therefore, are exhorted to dedicate your home to your Maker and to take His Word, the Bible, for your guide. Give loyal devotion to the church, thus uniting the mutual strength of these two great institutions. And true happiness will be your temporal and eternal reward. Well, it's true that a family who leaves out the church, leaves the church out of its living, is inviting disaster. For the home and the church were meant to complement each other. A slogan that was designed not to sell a product, but to state a proven fact is this one. The family that prays together stays together. That's not a promotional uh, cliche to promote family prayer. It's a statement that states a proven fact. The family that prays together stays together. But I need to say right up front that just going to church on Sunday or even having family devotionals in the home is not all there is to worship. I think some of us suffer from a kind of a stated occasion complex and it spills over to our family. There are some people who believe that you're never to talk about God or even think about Him except in the environment of soft organ music and stained glass. It's a sickness that modern Christianity suffers from. The idea that, that we can put God on hold and we call on Him on stated occasions. We need to flee this kind of a complex as, as though it were the plague. The idea that you talk about God on Sundays and you put Him in this box on Sunday and you go home and you wait until next Sunday to hear about Him again. The daddy sort of man that God wants us to be is a man who makes his family aware of God all the time. He's a kind of man who expresses his devotion in a very natural way, in a very profound way at all times. Now when we get through with all of these distractions, we'll, uh, we'll be there all right. We'll suffer from this stated occasion kind of complex that, that puts God on a week-to-week -week basis. A daddy sort of man is a kind of man that lives out his faith every day. You know, when the engineers several years ago sat down at the drawing boards and on paper they, they drew the width of the Panama Canal, they limited forever the size of ships that could use that canal. And in a kind of a sad parallel to that, fathers, our attitude at home limits forever to some degree the amount of God our children claim in this life. I heard a preacher tell about visiting on death row in Huntsville Penitentiary. He said he called on a young man who was guilty of murder. He was sentenced to die. He'd committed several murders. He was the son of a gangster. He said, as a matter of fact, just a few weeks before I was there visiting that boy, they found his father's bullet-ridden body, bullet-riddled body in the trunk of a car. And this boy said to the preacher friend, he said, 
My father told me that I could take anything or anybody I was smart enough or tough enough to take. And the preacher said, I couldn't help but think as I looked into the blue eyes of that handsome young man, what kind of young man, what kind of boy this boy would have been if his father had been different. The Bible tells us, fathers, that we are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Not only are we to make our families aware of God at all times in the quiet and profound expression of our faith in a natural way, but we are to be the worship leaders in our home. This is what the scripture says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's a daddy sort of man, as God wants him to be. John G. Patton, one of Britain's greatest missionaries, said, that he could not remember a time in his life when they did, his family, his father, did not lead in family devotions. He said, I don't remember a thing that ever interrupted our family devotional life. Not vacation, not travel, not guest, not the press of a busy schedule. He said, every day we worship God in the home. But he said, I was profoundly impressed by hearing my father's private devotionals. He said, I would stand outside his closed door and I would listen to my father pray. And I listened to him as he called our names to God, each one of us, my sister and my brothers. And he told God of his dreams for us and his concern about us and his disappointment in us. And he covered us with the blood of Christ as he prayed every day. He said, I cannot cannot forget standing outside the door and hearing my father's private devotional life. And he said, all of the things that have steadied me over the years may be swept away, but I'll never be, I shall never be moved in this life because of remembering the experiences of hearing my father pray for me. A daddy sort of man is a man who leads in worship, and he's happy. And the scripture talks about happiness in work. He said... When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you'll be happy and it will be well with you. I heard about this burglar who decided he was going to join the church. And he went to the pastor to tell the pastor he decided he'd going to join the church. This was the church he wanted to join. The pastor said, that's great. Now you'll need to quit your stealing and take another occupation. And the burglar said, no, no, sir, that's not religion. That's business. Well, I don't think that's a true story. But there are some of us today who have never learned that business is a part of one's Christian dedication to God. Now, I don't know all of this, all that this psalm means, but I know that it means two things at this point. I know it means that you cannot separate business from faith. You cannot separate your faith from your business. 
You can't put the secular over here in this little pile and the spiritual over here in this little pile. They cannot be separated. I don't know how many times in a lifetime of ministry I've had people say to me, I can't accept your Christianity because I know some Christians who are the meanest, crookedest people in business I've ever met. They come up on Sunday morning to church and sit in the places of worship and then they go out and do a number on me in business. You can't separate business from faith. I know the second thing that this means, it means that God will enter your life at every level in a helping kind of way. He'll even enter your business in a helping kind of way. Now I'm not going to float around on some kind of um, cloud of a kind of a never-never land of sentimentality. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you trust in God, you're going to be successful in business. Kind of like Christianity is a, that gold label that comes on the Reader's Digest uh, uh, bonanza, you know. You send in this gold seal and, and, and Ed McMahon tells you that you might be, and this is the way he says it, and you might be rich. Man, I can't hardly stand it, you know, when I get one of those. I want to send it back so quick. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I feel like that what we imply from pulpit and, and from lectern is if you will give your tithe to God, you might be rich. I'm not here to tell you that. But I am here to say I believe with all my heart that God enters into every experience of life in a helpful kind of way. He knows what it means, how tough it is to make a living. And He cares. And He knows what it feels like when one of your family gets sick, what it does to your spirit and to your budget alike, or when your car breaks down, or when your salary is cut short or cut off. He knows and He cares about that. And He knows that life is an impossible weave, the fabric of life is an impossible weave of both silk and steel that the fibers of life so delicate as tenderness and love and sympathy are interlaced with the hard-nosed factors of every day's living, trying to make a living. And he knows that the, the weave of life is an impossible weave of taxes and tenderness, of dishes and endearment, of mortgages and emotions, of graciousness and groceries, of conflicts and kisses. And he knows that and he cares about it. And, and, he, and even though there is this impossible weave in life, it's a strong fabric, but it must be kept in balance. And that's where God comes in. He helps us keep it in balance. And one day Jesus, who is the reflection of God and the and the exegesis of God sat on a hillside and he talked to people and he looked into the faces of people who were suffering from economic problems. You talk about depression. He looked into the faces of these folks and he talked about clothes. I mean these folks who couldn't hardly make a living and he talked to them about clothes 
And he held in his hand a lily of the field and he said, why Solomon in all his glory was not dressed up like that. And some birds flew overhead and he said, consider those sparrows drab and browned and songless. They're so insignificant that you could buy five for less than two pennies. And then he describes in unmistakable terms God's condition for these provisions. He said, God's going to take care of you. He's going to give you clothes to wear. He's going to feed you who feeds the sparrows. But under these conditions, and he lists them in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now here's our Lord saying, God's going to see to it that you have clothes to wear. And God's going to see to it that you have food to eat if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God will provide everything that you worry about. Now take this parable of the prodigal son. This young man didn't come home so he could get a new ring and a robe and shoes and a new stake for a new fling in the far country. He just wanted to get things right with his father. And so when he got home and he got things right with his father, there was the robe, and there was the ring, and there were the shoes, and there was the new relationship. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's not a license to laziness. Nowhere does the Bible imply even that God is going to honor laziness. Even the Garden of Eden was no vacation. Adam was put there to keep that place. But I believe with all my heart that if a man will put God first and he will make him the supreme factor of his life, God will take care of his needs. He may not have all he wants, but he'll have all he needs. What this psalm says is this. Now watch this. It says God is going to enter into your business, into your vocation, into your occupation, and He's going to help you, and you'll start liking it there. You'll start enjoying your work. God promises to honor the work of a dedicated man. One last thing, please. He talks about happiness and the love of one's family, the love of one's wife. Something's wrong in a man's heart if he's not happy with the love of his children and the love of his wife. I was touched this morning by the prayer of this man who brought our, our uh, offertory prayer to hear him choke with emotion when he said, I thank God for my children. I consider them to be the most priceless possession on earth. He said, there is happiness in the love of your wife and your children. And a man is away from God who cannot feel happiness in the love of his family, his wife and his children. Fathers, our children need to see us loving God and worshiping Him in all areas. Our children need to see us loving God more than material things. Our children need to see us worshiping God together as a family in the church. Your children need to see you loving their mother. One psychologist said, the best thing that a man could ever do for his children is to love their mother. 
I used to watch Candid Camera. I watched the original Candid Camera. Now that'll date me quickly. I remember seeing a segment one time where they did a, a, a Candid Camera segment in a nursery school of five-year-old children just kind of zeroed in on them and watched them. And these little kids were playing and talking, you know, and they were listening in and showing, you know, showing the cameras, zooming in on them. And there was one little five-year-old child in this group, a little girl, who was just effervescent and dynamic and just so uh, personality plus. And they just kind of zoomed in on her and kept it on her. She was the, she was the show. After the little segment was over, they interviewed her and they asked her this question. They said, honey, does your daddy and mother love each other? And, and, and the little girl said, oh yes, mother and daddy love each other. And they said, well, how do you know your daddy and mother love each other? And the little girl said, well, they just go kissing all over the house. Now, I preached a sermon, uh, I preached this, put this in a sermon on the home one time, and there were two little kids, they were the educational director's kids of this church where they were sitting side by side, two little boys, one about 10, one about eight, and one nudged the other, you know, and I could tell their mother and daddy just go kissing all over the house. Now, do you think there is a relationship between the dynamic personality of that little five-year-old girl in that nursery school and the love she sensed in her mother and daddy's life for each other? Of course there's a relationship. Our children need to see us happy in our home, loving each other and loving God. For most of the time, they will they will express the patterns that they sense at home. And if they see inconsistency at home, if they see the father and mother living one way in public and another way in private, it is disastrous. We need to teach them how to respect the great people God made them to be. When Moses was told by God to go down to Egypt, he said, who, will I, who can I tell those folks sent me? And God said, just tell them I am sent you. And theology tells us that God is the great I am. And the God who is the great I am made a whole bunch of little I ams. And when God said I am the I am, he was expressing the greatest affirmation of his personality. That's what I've been doing ever since the doctor spanked me into this world. I've been saying I am. The first announcement I made to those standing around me was I am here. And then it was I am hungry. And it's gone on from there. Usually it's still, you know, I am hungry. It's kind of that. And when I get to be a dottering, dotering old man, I'll still be saying, I am. For when Jesus came, He did not come to destroy our I amness. He came to help a person find His identity and fulfill it. And the way He came to help us find our identity is by telling us that God loves us just like we are. 
And you can help your children discover who they were meant to be and fulfill who they were meant to be by helping them to know that you love them and God loves them. For a child has to be accepted for who he is. He doesn't doesn't say much. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't bring in any income. And he gets his self-image for the first time as he looks up into the faces of his mother and his father and something as true as life begins to move in him to say subconsciously, I don't know how I could be of any value to anybody. I can't do much. I can't even keep my chin dry. But I must be somebody special for look at how those two folks up there are going on over me, how they're making over me. And the way we teach our children that they're special and important is to teach them that we love them and that God accepts them. They are precious and important to God no matter where they are or what they do. The Bible's pretty specific about that. As a matter of fact, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. It means don't stir them up. Provoke them, exasperate them. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says, build them up. I heard a man introduce his children one time this way. He said, this is the kid that makes poor grades, and this is the child that never smiles, and this is the kid that's as sloppy as a pig. Boy, with parents like that, you know, who needs enemies? I'm telling you, we have the most wonderful things to say, like, why don't you... Why don't you do better in your grades, dummy, like your brother? A a daddy sort of man as God wants him to be is a man who builds in his children a deep sense of self-respect and self-love. And he does it by his acceptance the happiness that he expresses in his life. And if you're going to do it, you better hurry. Things are happening to me as well as to many of you that remind me of the inexorable movement of time. I'm, your children are not with you long, are they? And I was reading just again the other day an excerpt from Fiddler on the Roof, that haunting song, Where is the Little Girl I Carried? Where is the little boy at play? I don't remember getting older. When did they? Now is the little boy a bridegroom. Now is the little girl a bride. Under the canopy I see them side by side. Sunrise, sunset, quickly fly the years. Quickly fly the years. One season following another laden with happiness, tears. The daddy sort of man is a man who is happy in the love of his children and his wife. And his children are happy in the love of his father. Would you bow your heads with me?
Father, we know something about what it means to call you Father. Having heard the voice of children today call us Daddy, to know something of what that means. To know a little bit of what it means for a father to love his children and to desire their love in return. And in our heart is gratitude today for the love of a Christian father, the precious memory that he has left. Dear God, help us to be a daddy sort of man happy in worship, happy in work, happy in the love of our children, our wife. And Lord, help us to see this morning that we have some irreversible commitments that we must make that are demanded of us as fathers. Help us to be faithful to them because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. I'd like to offer three invitations this morning. As always, invitation for you to come this morning and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God is the great Father of love. He must love us a lot because He gave His Son if you have a son, you know how much that love is. He must love us a lot. He gave us his son. And this son died on the cross at Calvary, doing what he wanted to do and what, he, what his father wanted to do, to bring forgiveness of sin and salvation. He offers that salvation to you as a free gift, this father of love. If you'll accept His Son, trust His Son for salvation, you'll be saved. There's a second invitation. It's for Christian people to come this morning and place their life in the church. This is a family. That's how the church is planned. A family worshiping, serving, working. Won't you come and join the family of God that meets here in this place? And then there's an invitation for Christian people this morning, especially for fathers, to assume our place in the home, in worship, at work, expressing God in all we do, a dedication that's deeper than our own life, a rededication of life that will bring you back to the commitments perhaps you made before and deserted, abandoned. And I trust this will be a happy day for you because you'll do what God wants you to do. We're going to ask you to come on the very first word or the very first stanza. That's the time to come. You come right now as we stand to sing. <laughs>